Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Young people, you can go quickly and quietly. All right. I don't know if that's what I had in mind, but they got the quickly part down anyway. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look this morning. I, I told you before that I've been kind of just soaking myself in the book of 2 Timothy, and I'm not sure why, but the Lord just keeps bringing me back and reading it over. And let me encourage you to do this. When you get opportunity, I understand Genesis and Exodus. It's very difficult to read those whole books in one sitting. But when you get to the letters of the Bible, the epistles, read them all in one setting. And uh, it really helps you understand it and bring it all together. And uh, you, if you receive a letter in the mail, you read the whole thing. Front to back, you want to understand what the, the, the writer is speaking of. And it has helped me, and I've preached a couple of messages out of Second Timothy about the spirit of fear and having a form of godliness. And this morning, I want to preach a message with God's help entitled, I Am Not Ashamed. I Am Not Ashamed from Second Timothy chapter 1. Well, I want to thank you for uh, your congratulations. And uh, as you heard, we have a new grandbaby in our family. And so we're excited about that on Tuesday morning. Uh, we were so thankful. We just got back from the summit, and the last month has been a whirlwind, of course. We had a, uh, Ida's dad died very suddenly, and we had to go to Texas, and then we get back, and then we had the staff retreat at the summit, and we got back, and, and uh, we were done on Monday, the holiday. Uh, my wife and I, we, didn't even, we just left our jammies on all day. Have you ever done that? We don't do that very often. We, we're, we're up every morning, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and, and our eyes just pop open, and we're ready to go. And, and uh, we didn't, that Monday, we were finished. We just were tired, and we sat. And I'm so thankful no phone call came that day. And, uh, but Tuesday morning, uh, at 3.30 in the morning, Beth was waking us up, and my wife flew out of the bed angry. She's watching right now, and she'll want to rebut that. But she flew out, and she goes, why didn't I hear my phone? And we said, because she didn't call you, that's why. So she, were trying to, I mean, she got Beth to try to wake us up gently and ease us into it. And so we jumped in the car and we drove to Ohio. And uh, Emily had a pretty easy labor. And just uh, about 1.40 in the afternoon gave birth to Theo Isaiah. And uh, you ladies, uh, man, I got, I got angry at her. You'd get angry at her. That was Tuesday. On Wednesday, she looked like she didn't even have a baby. I haven't, even, I haven't even lost pregnancy weight, and I haven't, you know, and so my, my oldest is 25, so it's, it's something, and she just, she just jumped out of bed, and she was looking good, and she says, oh, the labor was easy, birthing was easy, how many of you ladies hate her now, so anyway, so praise the Lord for that, I'm thankful. And uh, the, everything went well and appreciate your prayers. And so uh, I couldn't get Ida or Beth to come home with me. They just stayed down there and they're enjoying some time. And, and uh, hold, I, get, I get the pictures and I get jealous. And so, But anyway, I hope to go see them. Uh, go home. I'm going to go drive down Friday night after work and, and bring her back Saturday if I can. So you pray about that, that I can get her to come home with me. And so 2 Timothy chapter 1, but I do appreciate the congratulations and and uh, I don't know if everything's set in just yet. It's kind of, kind of, just weird. I don't. I love being a grandpa. I just not sure about being married to a grandma. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter one. Look at verse eight. You know, some people. Some people. I've heard people say, "Well, we we shouldn't we shouldn't be laughing in church." I want I want kids to grow up saying, "Church is a good place." If I don't laugh in church, I'll never laugh because we're always in church, you know? And I, I don't want to get carried away. And we, We're not here to, some preachers get up and have a monologue. You know what I mean? And it's all about the show, and we don't want that. We want to focus on the Word. But I, I like to have joy and share life experiences with my church family, and I hope you'll share yours with me and uh, laugh about some things together. I think it's healthy. A merry heart doeth good like medicine. That's in the Bible. That, that means you can smile in church. It's okay. I know some of you don't like that idea, but the Bible says it's a merry heart. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 8 with me this morning. And I'm, I'm going to, I'll give you the context of the first seven verses in a moment, but I want you to start in verse 8 and notice what Paul says. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, 
nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Now the paragraph ends there, but the letter does not. And I want you to notice the next three verses because they're important to help us understand the context. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and listen to this, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and how many things he ministered to me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you. Again, for your word, we ask that you would open it to us this morning. And Lord, as the word is open, I pray that you'd open our eyes and our heart as well. Help us to see the truths that you have for us today and help us to listen to the Holy Spirit as he pokes and prods in our hearts and lives. And Lord, striving each day to make us more like Jesus. So I pray that you'd fill me with our Holy Spirit. I surrender to you and I, I need your help. I admit I desperately need your help. I pray that you speak today. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to understand a little bit about the context this morning, we understand from the previous messages on this topic that Paul is in a Roman prison. We just finished our study on the book of Acts, and in the last chapter of the book of Acts, we see Paul is on a ship, and he's on his way to Rome, and there he will spend a couple years in prison. And the Bible says it was a fruitful time. While he was in prison, he was kept in a house and uh, under house arrest, and so he had a little bit more freedom than other prisoners might have. And in that time, he was able to preach the word of God and minister, and people came to him. What a wonderful testimony that people wanted to hear about Jesus Christ. They heard who Paul was, and so they, they approached him, and, and no doubt Paul thankfully and faithfully shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is in this prison, and he understands it to be the will of God. Notice in verse 8 of our text this morning, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, notice what it says, his prisoner. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Caesar, I'm not a prisoner of Rome, I am the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to look at Paul's epistle to Ephesus or the book of the Ephesians, we would find that three different times Paul says, I'm an ambassador in bonds. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And three different times he refers to this imprisonment, but each time he is gladly an ambassador of Jesus Christ and a prisoner of God, not of Rome. In other words, he just gladly accepts God's will for his life. He understands this is where God has put me, and this is the mission that God has for me at this time. On the other hand, we see the young man, Timothy. And I, I look at this a little different than I've heard preached over the years. I hear uh, many times a preacher will preach that Paul is giving great advice to Timothy. He says that God hath not given us the spirit of fear and, and, and be thou not therefore ashamed and I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And we see these great lines that we put on plaques and hang on the wall. But I understand this as I read it over and over again. The reason Paul is speaking to Timothy like this is because Timothy, in fact, has shied away 
from his God calling ministry. Understand some of the wording that we see in scripture when we back up just a little bit. Notice verse 4. He says, I'm greatly desired to see thee being mindful of thy tears. Now, we, we may not take that one verse all by itself and say that, that uh, Timothy was crying all the time or in a state of depression. We might say, well, you know, when he said goodbye to Paul, Paul, they wept together. They, they were sorrowful that they had to say goodbye. And, and perhaps that is the context. But as we read on, we see some other things that kind of get us thinking about this. In verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and, my, and thy mother Eunice. Now notice what he says, and I am persuaded that it's in thee also. What he's saying is, I believe that faith is in there somewhere. I know that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm persuaded that it's in there. It dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded. I believe it's there somewhere, Timothy. And notice what he says in the next verse. Stir up the gift of God. You don't need to stir up anything if you're on fire for God. So something had happened in Timothy's life. And I believe the Bible gives us more insight in verse 8. But we'll look at verse 7. He says one more thing that kind of leads me to believe that Timothy was struggling. Timothy was fearful. He says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. But of power and of love and a sound mind. Timothy, that fear you are feeling and that sense of shame that you're feeling, that does not come from God. That's from Satan. And in verse 8, he says it this way, this way to him, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner. When we think of the word ashamed in today's modern language, we think of that brokenheartedness we feel when somebody deeply disappoints us, don't we? Somebody is caught in sin, maybe a child, or somebody has gone wayward in your family, and you're just ashamed. We see sometimes on the news those that have been arrested for some crime, and as they're escorted out of the courtroom, they'll, they'll be in handcuffs, and they'll throw a, a, a coat or something over their head to try to hide their face. They are ashamed of what has happened, and they are ashamed that they've been caught and standing trial for these terrible crimes. And as long as nobody knew, they seemed to feel like it was okay. But now that it has come to the light, they are ashamed of their behavior, and that's often the definition we think of, of ashamed. And the Bible bears that out as well. But there's another sense of the word ashamed, which means simply to shy away from something, to lack boldness. I remember years ago going out to eat, and it was actually Brother Rust was with me and Dr. Strachan, and uh, we were eating at the old hardware store down here, Home Hardware. I don't remember what the restaurant was called then. It was a restaurant at one time, and we were all in there. Donna Simmons was in there, and and uh, Pastor Strachan said, well, let's bless the food. And he prayed. And I mean, he prayed. Like right out loud. You know, a lot of us will get to the dinner table and say, well, Lord, bless this food. Thank you for it. We drop our napkin and we say a quick thank you as we're picking it up. We don't, we don't want anybody to see it. I, I think he prayed for the whole restaurant. And everybody, I saw people at our tables bowing their heads thinking, what do we do? There was a boldness about it. When we drop the napkin and say, Lord, bless this food, thank you, amen, that's, that's shame. That's shame. Not ashamed in the sense that we're ashamed of Christ or we're deeply embarrassed, but we're just shying away. We don't have the boldness that we ought to have. We don't want people to think we're associated. Shame is the disciples not showing up on crucifixion night. Shame was the one disciple who did show up but followed from a distance. Shame was that same disciple, Peter, who denied him three times out of fear. Shame is not being all in for Christ. I don't believe that Timothy had completely given up serving. I'm sure he went to his local assembly, his church, and I'm sure he sang the hymns and perhaps they were hidden away in an upper room or perhaps they went house to house so that their meeting place always changed like it does in China today. Maybe he took the offering. Maybe he was comfortable around other Christians. Maybe he sang a special. Maybe he played the piano. I don't know what his involvement was, but it wasn't what he had been commissioned 
to do. He had a spirit of fear upon him. And somehow it got back to Paul that he had stopped doing what God had called him to do. Have you ever been there? You get saved and you have all this boldness. You're not afraid to tell anybody. You're not going to believe what happened. I heard about Jesus Christ and how he died for my sins. And, and, and he was buried, but he rose again and he's coming. And, and all I had to do was trust him and the finished work of Calvary. And I, and I was born again and he washed away all my sins. He, he took them upon himself. And, and I, I'm a child of God. And, and you expected that message to be received with gladness and joy. And you found out it's not always. There's people that don't want to hear it. Well, that, that's, that's good for you, Paul, but don't bother me with that. And all of a sudden, you don't have the same friends anymore. You start losing those who don't want to be around you. The gospel often separates. And sometimes you feel like everybody's kind of looking at you, and, you and, and, and so you start shying away. You're maybe not so bold in your faith that you once were. You realize that it's going to cost you something to live for Jesus Christ. And it's going to cost you something to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we become ashamed. Not a deep embarrassment or shame in our lives, but simply the loss of boldness. And the shying away of the testimony of our Lord. And I believe that's what has happened to Timothy. And so Paul is trying to say to him, stir up the gift of God. That gift and that faith that is in you, I'm persuaded it's in there. And that gift that you received by the laying on of my hands, I want you to stir it up. It's laying dormant. You're not, you're not fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Oh, you're faithful to church. You go every Sunday. But Timothy, God's got a greater plan for your life. And you're missing out because of the spirit of fear. Because you're ashamed of the Lord. We notice in Paul's address to Timothy that he is striving to help him through this time. There are others that have fallen by the wayside and Paul says that about them in verse 15. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia he be turned away from me of whom are uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes, the Lord give mercy in the house of Anesiphorus, for he offered refreshment and was not ashamed. He was not ashamed. Onesiphorus came to Paul regularly and ministered to him, walked boldly into that jailhouse and was able to go into Paul's home and talk to the Roman guard and gain access because he was not ashamed of Jesus Christ. And so he boldly went where others would not go. Instead, they turned aside. I'm going to be honest this morning. I understand Timothy's fear a little bit. When I preached the message, the spirit of fear, I, I brought this out and I understand it and I get it. And maybe you're the same way. Paul was asking Timothy to go about his ministry in the same way that he did. You mean the ministry that landed you in jail, Paul? The ministry that took you to a prison to await your death? Paul would later say to Timothy in chapter 4, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm going to die. And Timothy is saying, you want me to live like you lived? You want me to be bold as a lion? You want me to preach like you preached? You want me to go city to city ordaining elders and bishops and deacons and, and helping these churches get established when all it's going to end is in certain death? Paul says that fear you feel, that's, that's not of God. That's not of God. So Paul, so Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed. And notice some things he says to him. First of all, we see a human condition. In verse 8, I think Paul is saying this is a common thing. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. 
This was the tendency. Paul tells us in verse 15, all they that were in Asia forsook him. We read in other passages of scripture as Paul gives his benediction to his letters that there's always somebody that turned back. There was always somebody that forsook Paul. There was always somebody that stabbed him in the back. There was always somebody that was ashamed to stand with Paul. We understand that the Lord Jesus Christ also experienced the same thing. At the end of his life, there was only 12 left, and 11 of them wouldn't even follow him to the cross. The Bible talks about one in the garden that forsook him and fled right from the garden when the soldiers came. Some followed from afar off, but many would not stay that night. In the hour of his greatest need, they were ashamed of Christ. I believe it's a human tendency. We don't like conflict, do we? Man, we don't. I don't like conflict. I, I, I get that feeling in my gut. And I'm, I'm going to tell you what, I am so thankful for prayer. I, I've learned over the years, you know, in my mind, okay, I know I got to deal with that problem. I know I got to go get that settled. I got to go fix that thing. I got to go talk to those people in the church, whatever it is. And I've learned that I just need to pray a while first. Maybe a week, maybe longer. And here's what I've learned. When we do that, the Lord often takes care of those problems before we ever have to go. Oh, there's times that in my role as a pastor, you have to go and you have to speak to people. You have to deal with problems. But I'm thankful that when we pray, God is in control. And God takes care of it. Somehow Timothy had fallen off that track. And I'm not saying he wasn't praying and he didn't still have faith, but he wasn't bold as a lion. And we see it's a human condition as, as Paul says, it's not just you, Timothy, there's others. Many have forsaken me. Many are ashamed. He thanks God for this one, Onesiphorus, who was not ashamed of his bonds. Listen, when we are living out the gospel and we receive any type of opposition, it tends to extinguish that fire a little bit. You know, the Bible says that we are to do the very opposite. The Bible talks about a shield that we are to carry that quenches the fiery darts of the wicked, not the other way around. We often are so quenched. The Spirit of God is grieved, and the fire of the Holy Spirit is, is extinguished in our lives because we are not walking with Him. We're not, just, we're not just to be saved by the gospel, we're to live by the gospel. We lose that boldness that we once had. We tend to keep quiet when Christ is put down in our sphere of influence. You might go to work tomorrow and sit in your break room and people will talk about the Lord Jesus Christ like he's a cuss word. There was a time where you would have said, hey, don't talk about my Savior like that. That's my God. But would you today? Well, we watch TV programs. I'm telling you, I'm home. I'm home right now. My wife's gone, and I, I'm bored. I'm bored, and so I, I did the laundry last night. I did all kinds of things, you know. And then, and then I, I put a. I said, "Well, I'll see what." I put on this show, and I couldn't watch two minutes of it. They started taking the name of the Lord in vain. Ugh. Where's our boldness? Listen, I, I'm not talking about we ought to run around with the big capital C on our chest and a cape on our back and want to contend and fight with everybody. Ephesians chapter 6 never, never says we're to fight, we are to stand. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Stand. The only offensive weapon you have is the word of God. It'll do the work. The Bible talks about in Revelation when Christ comes back that the word of God is like a sword in his mouth and he'll just go out and take care of all the world. We just have to trust him. This is a human condition. Years ago, I was living in Hamilton. We had bought our first home and we were, it was a condominium and there was 25 units and we bought one of those, and 
they had a, a board, a condominium board, and, and they asked me after a couple years if I'd sit on the board. There was only three board members and then the property manager and, and the maintenance man and the five of us would have to get together and talk about, oh, this, this unit needs the roof fixed or this needs a window or whatever it is. And we'd go through all that and do the report from the maintenance every month and, and whatever. So they asked me to sit upon it and I, and I didn't know why they asked me. They just, they just said, ask me and I thought, okay. And I didn't want to. I really didn't want to. But then I was reading the scripture, it says, a new king rose up who knew not Joseph, and I thought, somehow Israel lost their influence, and here's a chance I have to influence, and I, and I, I don't want to do it. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll sit on the board. Well, I found out that the three, the three board members were the only three in the whole condominium corporation paying their fees, and if you don't pay your fees, you can't be a board member, and so I, by default, I had to do it. I remember, you might remember it too, years ago when that case came up in Elmer and the families fled to Mexico because they were disciplining their children. Do you remember that? And so they, they grabbed their kids and they got down to Mexico at nighttime. And I, I don't know all the details of the case. I don't know what happened. I don't know why they were brought up on charges and all the rest. I, I, they, they were accused of abuse and all the rest. But here's how the world frames that thing. I'm sitting at a board meeting and they know that I'm a pastor and the one fellow looks at me, he was a writer for the Hamilton Spectator, and he had been following the story and, and writing editorials on it. And he looked at me and he says, you're not with that group that beats their kids with sticks, are you? That's how he framed what we would call biblical discipline. Now, understand this. If you abuse a child, I'm going to call the police on you. We don't tolerate that. Ever, ever. I won't hesitate. But the world just takes and twists and turns. The next day I was listening to the Roy Green show. Does anybody know who Roy Green is? He's, he's been on Hamilton Radio for about 50 years. And he has a talk show. He's kind of a conservative. Well, he used to be. I don't know if he still is or he may be gone. I don't know. And I was listening, I was driving to the General Hospital in Hamilton for a visit, and I was listening to the show, and they were talking about this case. And then they were saying, well, should we discipline kids in schools? Should, remember when they used to give you the strap in schools, and they used to do this, and they do that, and, and they all, he says, all these uh, evangelicals say, spare the rod, spoil the child. And so I called in, and I said, Mr. Green, the Bible does not say spare the rod, spoil the child. It says, he that spareth the rod hateth his son. I said, that gives biblical authority to a parent to discipline a child. And we are in the mess we're in today is because parents aren't disciplining their children. If parents discipline their children, we would never need a principal to do anything. That's the problem. And we are so messed up because we got other people who do not have biblical authority disciplining our children for us. But the world loves to twist the scripture. That is a human tendency. And as soon as those things come up, I, you know, he's looking at me across the table. I got on a rabbit trail there, didn't I? He's looking at me across the table. And he says, you're not with that group that beats kids with sticks, are you? What do you say? I just went, oh. Number one, I want to support other Bible-believing Christians. I didn't even know who they were. I hadn't heard about the story. I didn't know what religion they were, what denomination. I didn't know anything. But if they were Bible believers, I wanted to support biblical discipline. So how do you answer questions like that? Our tendency is to be ashamed. All I could say was, I believe in, I don't know anything about the case. I believe in disciplining our children biblically. But I do not believe in beating them with sticks, as you have put it. I didn't know what to say. But in those circumstances, I'm going to tell you, my flesh, I want to shy away. I don't want that conflict. Paul says, be not thou therefore ashamed. Stand for the truth. It is a human tendency, a human condition. But we see, secondly, as he's guiding Timothy through this time, we see that he says, you have a holy calling. Look at verse 9. 
He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 8. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He's saying, Timothy, you got to understand something. This whole gospel ministry is so much bigger than you. It's not about you, and it's not about your suffering, and it's not about your shame or your embarrassment or your pride. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on a cross and paying the price for your sins. So be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. You have a holy calling. Notice what the, Paul says to Timothy. He says, he has saved us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. God has a plan for your life. And it's so much bigger than you can imagine. God has a desire to do something with your life. But here's the truth. When we are ashamed of Christ, he cannot use us. Paul was taking this young, defeated Christian and trying to exhort him, trying to encourage him, trying to get him back on the team, get him excited about serving again. Can, can I... Can I address some of you today as Paul's? We, we need some of the, the Bible. Paul, Paul also told Timothy that the older men are to exhort the younger and the older women are to, the aged women. I, I, boy, ladies, you don't like that word, do you? The aged women are to help the young ladies. We need some Paul's. Come alongside to encourage and exhort and to stir up the gift of God. And that's what Paul's trying to do. Timothy, get him up off the deck and encourage him to have some boldness and to go forward preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. It is a holy calling. God has a purpose for your life. God is building something that will bring him glory. You are a purchased possession. You belong to him. Let me show you a third thing. I'm moving quickly because I want to spend some time on the last we see not only a human condition and a holy calling, we see a heavenly commission. Look what he says in verse 10. But is now made manifest. Now, he's referencing back to verse 9. God had a plan to send Jesus Christ before the world began. But now it is made manifest. This purpose that God has for us and this, this mission that God has set us on, it is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I'm appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Listen, when did the gospel get power? When Jesus rose from the dead. And so it becomes a holy commission. Listen, a lot of people have missions a mission is something that you choose to set out and do for yourself. A commission is when it is empowered by another. And God has given us a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so Timothy has this uh, heavenly commission when Jesus Christ came to fulfill his purpose in his life. He empowered him to go out with the gospel. So we see a holy calling, a, a human condition, a holy calling, a heavenly commission. And then I want you to see this, a helpful contrast. Here's where we're going to spend a few minutes. A helpful contrast. Look at verse 12. For the which cause, this cause of the gospel, this cause of preaching Christ, I also suffer these things. What are these things? I'm in prison. I know I'm going to die. In just a few paragraphs, Paul's going to tell Timothy that he's ready to be offered. His time of departure is at hand. He's fought a good fight. He has kept the faith. He's finished his course. And he knows he's going to die. And so he says to him, all these things are falling out to me because of the gospel. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I haven't lost any boldness. I haven't lost any fervor. I keep preaching Christ. Even in my bonds. And because of that holy desire that God had put in Paul's life, God began to bring people to Paul. 
Word began to spread and people would come and in that house he would share with them the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. But read on in the verse. He says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul was telling Timothy that he was able to endure the suffering and still have a fruitful and powerful impact for Christ because he focused on God. Think of it this way. Timothy was reeling in despair while Paul was reveling in Christ. That's the difference. That's why Paul had to encourage him. So how... Do we keep the right balance? We see Timothy is ashamed, but Paul says, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you don't know Christ like I do just yet. You need to go through some of these trials. You need to understand suffering in order to draw closer to Christ. I think Paul gives us three things to help us have this right balance in our lives. Number one, Embrace the gospel. The word embrace is the opposite of the word ashamed. If ashamed means to shy away or to lose our boldness, embrace means just the opposite. To go after it with all our heart and our soul and our mind. To love the gospel because the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we are to embrace the gospel. Notice what he says back in verse 8. We've made our outline, but now notice some things that we'll pick out of this verse. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Notice, first of all, we're not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Embrace the gospel. The gospel is not just a message. It is a lifestyle, as I've already said. The Bible says that when we were saved, I received a new life in Christ. Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. The gospel is not just a moment in time where you accepted Christ as your Savior. It is a life-changing faith that follows you to the day you die and enters into heaven with you because God's word is eternal and it will never perish. That's the gospel. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't be ashamed of it. Embrace it. I told you a couple weeks ago, I made you a promise. I told you that my wife was never on Facebook, but I've heard she's been on Facebook this week. Has anybody noticed? And I I guess I'm getting pictures every five minutes. I don't know if my watch has been buzzing since I've been up here. I'm not sure if I got more. Just incredible. By By the way, my grandson's watching this morning. Like the rest of you, he fall asleep probably by now. But I thought the first preacher my grandson ever hears. What a blessing. We're not ashamed of that little guy. We've been showing pictures. How many of you know Irene at Swiss Chalet? Yeah, everybody knows what I mean. First, when we moved back here 12 years ago, we went to Swiss Chalet, and, and there was Irene, and I thought, I know her from somewhere. And I said, I said, where do I know you from? And she said, you and your buddy used to come into Pizza Hut when you were teenagers almost every day, Jeff Masker and I. And she says, I worked there then, I remember you. I was pulling out my phone and showing Irene baby pictures. Good night. So why are we ashamed of Jesus? We sing songs like he's the greatest friend I ever had. What a friend we have in Jesus. All my griefs and pains to bear. Have you embraced the gospel? The testimony of the Lord. But I want you to notice the second thing I think he encourages them in. Embrace the gospel to embrace embrace associations. Let me explain what I mean by that. Look what it says in verse 8. 
Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. I think the tendency is we sometimes shoot our own. I think Paul was discouraged because Timothy hadn't come to see him. He says, don't be ashamed of me, Timothy. I'm thankful for Onesiphorus because he's come often. He's come to see me. Others are ashamed of me. All of Asia, as a matter of fact. Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. We have a tendency to shoot our own. Now listen, there, there are people out there with a false gospel. And there are people out there that are cultic and they believe in works to get your way to get to heaven. And they have all kinds of funny ideas. I'm not talking about that. But if there's somebody else there that is preaching salvation by grace through faith, I'm with them. They, 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 may, they may think that, uh, well, you know, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is coming in return and, and you believe in a pre-tribulation. I believe maybe a little bit later than that. I don't care. I'm not saved because of my stand on the tribulation. I'm saved by faith through Jesus Christ and his grace alone. And we need more gospel preachers, not less. And maybe we don't see more young people going into the ministry because we have too many of us fighting with each other over stupid things. And I get false doctrine. We will stand against false doctrine and we will stand against the cults. But I am thankful for those that fly the flag and stand for the word of God, and stand for Jesus Christ. And, and, and by the way, I've been to other Baptist churches, independent, fundamental Baptist churches, and they don't look like me. And I don't look like them. And that's okay. None of the 12 disciples look like each other. I'm talking spiritually. One was a doubter. One was a denier. One was a betrayer. And yet somehow God used them all. Incredible, isn't it? Paul says, don't be ashamed of me. Here, here's what happens. When a preacher or a witness or a, somebody, you hear about a, a Christian getting in some sort of trouble for the sake of the gospel, I'm not talking about sin or some stupid thing they did, but for the sake of the gospel, when we say, well, you know, they, they must have done something wrong. God's not pleased with them. Let me say this. The source of all persecution is the devil. They say, oh, but God allowed it in the life of Job, but Satan came knocking. It's because of our sinful fallen condition that we, we have suffering in this world and we have pain in this world and, and we are not immune to it. Thank God we have Christ to help us through it. But sometimes our tendency and our first response is that when, when Paul ends up in prison, we go, well, I don't I'm staying away from that guy. He's trouble. When in fact, that's when he needed Timothy's support the most. I'm not saying today I want you to pick up the phone and call somebody across the country and say, listen, I want you to know where you might want to do that. But would you pray for them? Would you encourage them? It wasn't long ago we heard about churches in India being burnt to the ground. Well, Pastor, why'd you say that from the pulpit? I don't know that they were independent fundamental Baptist. Do you know what they did the next Sunday? They sat on the bricks that were left laying on the ground and had church. Because they loved Jesus. Let's embrace associations. I'm not asking you today to go get in league with a whole bunch of cults and false doctrine. I'm not saying that. We're a Baptist church. We believe in a Baptistic worldview because we believe it's a biblical worldview. I'm not, I'm not saying to dip your sails or drop your color. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we ought to love the brethren. Encourage and help. Several years ago, somebody saw me have coffee at a Tim Hortons with another pastor he was a Baptist pastor. He wasn't exactly like me. And they came to me and said, are you sure you want to be seen? And I said, you're right. 
I wish I was there with your unsaved neighbor to share the gospel with them. Why is it okay to sit with an unsaved person and not another pastor friend who wanted to encourage me and called me and asked if I'd have a coffee with them? We get so caught up. Paul says, I need your fellowship, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of me. Encourage me, help me. Gamaliel said it this way, if be of God, you cannot overthrow it. But I want you to see the third thing. How do we keep this balance in our lives and ministry? How can we make sure that we're not slipping like Timothy? Embrace the gospel, embrace associations, but then embrace afflictions. Notice he says at the end of the verse, verse 8, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. The Bible says if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. There's something about affliction. Paul says, Timothy, you're so busy looking at the afflictions. He says, I'm not. I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. That's where my eyes are. Embrace it. Just trust that God can get you through it. Now, understand this. You say, why? Why is there suffering? Why is there afflictions? Why, if I'm doing good for the cause of Christ, would I even be the slightest bit embarrassed? Why would I have to suffer scorn or mocking? Why do I endure somebody laughing at me? Why do I get shunned at a family meal? Why do my co-workers don't want to hang out with me anymore? Why should I go through that? It's just easier to shy away. Understand this. And I believe this will help make sense of it. Look at verse 9. He says, I'm going to back up verse 8. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. But notice the semicolon. The sentence does not end. Who hath saved us? And hath called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. God has a purpose. Notice verse 12 with me. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There's a purpose. So keep going. Don't worry about the afflictions. The Bible says this. Paul said to another church, he says, this present suffering is not worthy to be compared or this light affliction is not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory. Light affliction. Oh no, you don't understand what I'm going through. God says it's just light compared to the eternal weight of glory. There's something better. Paul says it this way in Romans 1.16. He said, why should I be ashamed? It's easier just to shy away. It's easier just to keep my mouth closed. Here's what Paul said about that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Aren't you glad the person who shared the gospel with you was not ashamed? If we were all ashamed of Christ and ashamed of the gospel, no one would ever get saved. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Let me just say this. You can live your life with fear, shame, just going about your daily business, going to church. Or you can be what God wants you to be. He has a greater purpose. He has a greater purpose for your life. He says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Embrace the gospel. Pray for others that are preaching the gospel. Encourage one another in the Lord. And God will give you that balance in your life. I, I've been in places, I've, I've been in places where, where they're just rude about it. They love the conflict. They pride themselves on it. I saw a video years ago of a pastor that I knew. And there was a, a guy on the street and he had a billboard and I, I can't remember what it said. The end of the world is near kind of thing, you know. 
And he's out there mocking him and laughing and joking at him. And he got a few of his preacher buddies around. It was at some conference, and they, they took a video of it. And I thought, how did that help anything? But he prided himself on being bold for Christ. You're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. To preach the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. But the key is we are to preach. We are to share Christ. We are to be effective witnesses of the gospel. God has a great purpose for your life. But it won't happen if we're ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Challenge us today, Lord. We need, I need it. Speak to our hearts and help us. Lord, to understand, and we do, I think we all can commiserate with Timothy and understand what it's like to be fearful, to have the nerve or the courage to share Christ with somebody. I understand that. And Lord, we live in a very peaceful part of the world compared to what Timothy was going through. Timothy knew that the gospel message might mean death. Lord, we have no such fear. So help us not to be irrational. Help us to be bold for Christ. Oh God, I pray that our next generation would see the power of God upon us. They would desire to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, sharing his precious gospel wherever they go. Help us, Lord, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Our heads bowed and our eyes are closed. Let me ask you this morning. We use that word ashamed, and I, I don't want to throw that at you, but I, I want to say this. Are you as bold as you should be? Man, I know I'm not. I was under conviction when I was with Dr. Sisk. He was here for a few days, and no matter where we went, he was, he was handing out gospel tracts to everybody with a big smile on his face, no fear. Some of you Christians that have been saved for a while, you need to take a young man or young lady with you and encourage them to share Christ, to help others. Are you bold for Christ? Maybe there's one here today that says, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. What a convicting thought that there might be somebody in this room that doesn't know Jesus and we're afraid to tell them. But let us help you today. Is there one that doesn't know Jesus? We want to help you. We want to show you what the Bible says about eternal life through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't be saved any other way. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the precious name of Jesus. Can we help you today? I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you I won't call out your name. Would you slip up your hand? Let me pray for you. My prayer won't save you. I just want to ask God to help you. Is there one? 